0: Welcome to Bio, a podcast produced by the Biographers International Organization. Bio is devoted to promoting the work of biographers and advocating for biography as a genre with the support of biographers and biography lovers worldwide. I'm Bio member Sonia Williams in Washington, D.C. On each episode, we'll talk with a biographer about his or her work. This time, writer Andrew Marble, author of Boy on the Bridge, the story of John Shalikashvili's American Success, published by the University Press of Kentucky in 2019. During the early 2000s, Andrew Marble worked for an Asian policy think tank in Seattle, Washington. Decorated Army General John Shalikashvili served on the organization's advisory board And one day, Andrew's boss sent him to meet with the general.
1: My boss wanted me to go get his signature on something, and I was petrified to go meet this four-star general. I asked my boss to send someone else, and he said, why? I said, well, I'm going to make a joke, and I'm going to offend this guy. And my boss said, no, let let me tell you this anecdote, which just really spoke to Shally's personality, that he was a very kind of humble caring thoughtful person and I said well wait a minute my view of a general is like Patton right I've seen that movie and how could there be somebody who was quiet and cared about diversity and listening to people's opinions and uh, so I had to know more so I started digging
0: how old was he then
1: Uh, let's see this was around 2006 so he would have been he was born in 36 so 70
0: okay from that meeting, uh, what made you decide, oh, this is a guy I need to spend however long <laughs> <with,"> <laughs> to write a biography about?
1: So the first thing that caught my attention was he's foreign-born. He was the first foreign-born chairman. Chairman of? Chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff, which is the highest-ranking officer in the U.S. military. And uh, he's a principal advisor to the President on Security Matters. So then I began to do some digging and I found out his family lived in Warsaw during the beginnings of World War II. Their apartment was hit by a dive bomber and came crumbling down around them. So he, his family had to live in cellars and move through sewers for like weeks on end. And then after the uprising was over, they escaped Warsaw and landed in Pappenheim, which is in Bavaria in Germany. And the reason why they went there is his grandmother's sister was Countess Julie Pappenheim, and this brings me to the whole second dimension of of what pulled me into Shali's story. So he came from royalty. He was born Prince John Malchase David Shali Kashvili, and that's a mouthful. Uh, Shali Kashvili princes date back to the year fourteen hundred in Georgia. His great grandfather and namesake had fought for the tsar with such you know uh, fierceness that the tsar reportedly awarded him a gold saber with the uh, the title the brave on his mother's side, he has a relative who was the first Russian admiral to circumnavigate the globe. Uh, his mom, believe it or not, was born in the Winter Palace in St. Petersburg because mm-hmm. his grandmother was the lady in waiting to the last Tsarina and uh, the Grand Duchess herself. And, and this is the guy who was the highest ranking U.S. military officer under Clinton. How does uh, that happen? <laughs> how does that happen? This is all the, the drama, right? The incredible riches to rags back to riches success story. But that wasn't really what hooked me. What hooked me was I began to hear what everybody was saying about him. And here's a quote from uh, General Colin Powell, who was uh, his predecessor as chairman. He says about Shalley, he's a quiet, decent man and a very hard worker. There is a mistaken notion that you have to have patentesque qualities to be a great general but you don't need to rant and rave or be an arrogant jerk to be successful. Shally showed that. Um, Some of the things that were said about him when he was nominated in the fall of 1993, and this is directly from newspaper reports, he was said to be low-key, self-effacing, informal, a consensus builder who understands teamwork, someone extraordinarily sensitive in terms of caring for people and whose humility was bone deep, one who balances firmness with compassion, a man with a voice seldom raised but always heard, someone all told who was enormously loved and respected. So I began to you know, kind of wonder, how to, is this true, first of all? And if so, how, how do you become such a person? And I stumbled across one last article that really made me decide to write the book. In retirement, he was asked what his greatest weakness was, uh, and he said, I don't like confrontation. And I was just thinking, all right. So he was chairman, which meant, you know, keeping all the squabbling, you know, branches of the U.S. forces uh, on the same page, but then also kind of dealing with U.S. politics with Congress and the president. Before that, he was Supreme Allied Commander Europe, which is an incredible (laughs) title to own, Uh, (laughs) which is the military head of NATO. And, you know, he had to kind of work with all the European chiefs of defense. And most people know the Europeans (laughs) don't get along on a lot of things. How could someone like that have their greatest weakness be that they don't like confrontation? And what kind of person just openly admits it? So in 2010, I did the unthinkable uh, to some. I quit my full-time job. (laughs) I began interviews. And then in 2011, I put all my belongings in storage, packed up the car, and I set out on this open-ended cross-country research trip.
0: Now, before you get to the research trip, I just wanted to ask you, so Shali is still alive when you decide that he's going to be someone you want to focus on. Sure. Did you have unfettered access to him? Did he welcome your decision to <laughs> probe into his life?
1: Well, it's very interesting. Um, I'll answer it first indirectly. I've met a lot of people in the course of writing this book who either were encouraging him to have his story told or he even asked him if they could write it. And he, he said no. And his explanation at the time was, the world doesn't need another book about a military officer. And he wasn't completely being truthful for his reasons. But it is interesting, the book that I wrote really isn't about a military officer. It's it, it's about how a man like Chalet came into being. So to get back to your question, uh, in 2004, he had a stroke. And I think when that happens and your death may be imminent, that might've changed his mind a little bit. And the son brought all his papers to the organization that I was working at. They donated them and uh, i met the son when he came in and of course i'm bouncing off the walls i'm so excited you know all this private you know his notebooks from the last eight years of his career and just all this cool stuff is coming in and i really hit it off with his son and um i mentioned to him uh, later on that i wanted to write the book and he talked it over with his parents and they agreed Mm. so i got access to not just the restricted archives in seattle but the ones at national defense university the special collections and I got family photos. And yeah, I was
0: going to ask you because the photos in uh, your book are amazing. Right? They they go back to when he was a, a baby, and just kind of follow his whole life.
1: And they go back further, like. There's this incredible photo of his grandmother, who was right. a lady-in-waiting at, right. at, the, uh, at the Winter Palace. And she and her husband are attired in these incredible costumes for this big opulent ball that uh, Tsar Nicholas threw in 1903.
0: And those photographs were part of the donation?
1: Oh, no, those were at the house. Uh, oh. Those were belong to the family. This is how wonderful the Shalies are. Um, I wanted to come by and, and pick up the photo albums to scan. And Mrs. Shelley told me that she was up in the attic and she had found a whole bunch of letters that her husband had written to his parents. And uh, for me, this was a gold mine, right? And so I said, okay, well, I have uh, free time on Tuesday. Can I come down and get them? And Mrs. Shelley says to me, well, I'm not gonna be home. So I'll leave the back door unlocked and the photos will be out in the living room. And I walk in. And it is actually a treasure box. Around Christmas in Germany, they used to sell these cookies. And the chalets had been stationed in Germany multiple times. So I walk in and there is literally a treasure (laughs) box open. And I flip it open and there's, I think, 90-something letters that he wrote from when he was a kid at boarding school in Germany all the way up to when his mom died uh, in 1990.
0: So in the spirit of full disclosure, we met at a bio conference here in Washington, D.C. And I'll never forget... One time we were talking about our mutual journeys in into the biography uh, zone and world. And I went to your house and saw on the wall all of these notes that you had pasted <laughs> up in different colors and shapes and sizes. So is that how you tried to keep track of all of the information you were gathering?
1: So I, I spent an awful lot of time figuring out how to organize the book and I, I do not like linear things. I didn't want to do a you know soup to nuts. He was born and did this and this and this. I didn't want the book to be dry. So first of all, I had to understand how did General Shally become that person that was so well loved and liked in, in Washington DC politics, which is not easy. And then how am I gonna tell the story in an engaging way? Nobody can pronounce his last name. Few people knew him because for one, he came after Colin Powell. And some people told me who worked in his office that people would walk by his office, kind of point and whisper to each other, "That's where Colin Powell used to be," (laughs) and that's tough. Um, And Charlie also stayed out of the limelight; he didn't want to focus on him, Mm -hmm. Uh, so not a lot of people know about him. So, how do I sell this book? You know, on a military man, not very famous. And so I put an awful lot of of thought into the structure of the book. And you know I had interviewed over 300 people and and hundreds of linear feet of archive material. Um, So that wall, the great wall, was me realizing things that I thought were going to work wouldn't work. But it was very easy to take off a post-it from one section of the wall (laughs) and then move it to the other, as opposed to any other kind of form.
0: Would you recommend that approach to uh, other biographers?
1: Oh, absolutely! <laughs> Especially if they're juggling a lot of a lot of things, mm-hmm. uh, because I was trying to explain how he built his skill sets, how personal things that happened in, in his private life affected him. There's six or seven main characters in the book, so I was juggling a lot, and yeah, this this was a great way.
0: And talking about the organization of the book, one of the things that I really appreciate because it is very novelistic, so that a lot of times your chapters have cliffhangers
1: (laughs) you'll you'll make a
0: statement and you know she would later betray him and and you're like okay next chapter where are we going how did she betray him and then you go off to something else yeah in another time frame yes you said that it was nonlinear, but still you have to figure out how people won't get lost you might be in 1944 and then you jump to
1: to Peoria in 1954.
0: 1954, yeah. And then back, <laughs> and or then back. somewhere
1: else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of thought went into the structure. So the, the prologue of the book starts at the low point, which is the night that he stood out on this bridge in, in Bavaria and saw his first Americans, and these were the 86th infantry that was coming to end the war for Pappenheim. You have to start off with a low point, because then you want to make people, you know, cheer for the high point, but you can't give him the high point. So I gave him the next to the high point was chapter one and that was when he was being nominated because you still don't know if he's gonna become chairman. So there you have a low point, you have almost at the high point and then I asked the question, how did he get there? And then the next chapter after that has his high school girlfriend who got in touch with me via my website after he passed away because she still loved him and was missing him and wanted to connect with people who knew him. So the next chapter has her hearing the announcement August 11th 1993 Fallbrook California in a house tucked away among avocado groves and strawberry fields a 57 year old woman lay settled in bed the bedside radio was on volume turned low the perfect sleep inducer for someone whose unquiet mind often kept slumber at bay the voice of a news announcer recapping the day's events murmured from the speakers As she lay finally just on the edge of sleep, one news story penetrated Donna Kurtz's fading consciousness. President Clinton today nominated four-star Army General John Shalikashvili to serve as the next chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. No, that can't be true, her drowsy mind protested. Yet how many Shalikashvili's can there be in the world? And how many are named John? Sleep then overtook her. Awakening the next morning, she bolted out of bed, with a quick snap the television set was on. In minutes she saw it, the image being broadcast for the world to see. Oh my god, she gasped, the shock of recognition forcing her to steady herself against the bed. The decades had certainly changed him, she thought, but that cowlick of hair, that grinning smile, and oh, that darling, jutting chin, this was the John Shalikashvili she knew. Then. Amid joyous laughter came a sequence of realizations. How proud she was of him, how so very happy she was for his success. Oh, Christ, came that thought that had come occasionally over the years. I am still so in love with this little idiot, that clever, complicated idiot, the one with so many different sides to him that so few got to see, the one who'd drawn me in by his love of bedevilment, of twists and turns, by a mind that was mysterious not straightforward, as many had assumed. Yes, he was a consummate diplomat, even back in high school. Beguiled by the image he cultivated, so few classmates understood what a tactician he was, how what he thought and what he said could be miles apart. You always had it in you, John, she actually blurted out loud. Never willing to fight a losing fight, he instead kept his temper and, as he'd always say, lived to fight another day. Oh my God, look at you now, she exclaimed. It looks like you have fought patiently and won. Before bringing herself to shut off the television that morning, one last thought came to her. It was a wistful imagining she'd indulged in occasionally through the years, and, given yesterday's turn of events, was now more poignant. How different both their lives would have been if she hadn't betrayed him that summer almost forty years ago. End of chapter two. and then zoom you 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 flash back to graduation night with the two of them um, laying on the lawn, looking over the Peoria River, and she talks about what she sees of him, and she had a very rough upbringing and and she thinks that that's the reason why she was so messed up. Well, then, why was John Shey such a great guy? It must have been because of his parents. then you flash back to his mother whisking the kids out of war torn warsaw and so there's a storyline there that that keeps you going and uh, I think that helps to people to follow the back and forth.
0: So what did your editors or uh, your potential publishers say about this non-conventional way of telling someone's life
1: story? I think I was extremely lucky uh, for two reasons. One, I had nobody either at University Press of Kentucky or the Association of the US Army, which is the series editor. This book is part of the American Warrior series. Um, Neither of them really had anything to say about the content. They just opened it up to the reviewers. And in the proposal, I was clear this is the kind of story I'm writing. And they were fine with it. And what was extremely lucky, one of the persons they chose as a reviewer was Colonel Joseph Collins. Colonel Collins, who was actually his very last speechwriter in the final two years of Shally's chairmanship, he says he thinks I might have created a new genre of military biography. Because usually it's the general at the height of his powers or at some big campaign, and it focuses on their place in history and how they've changed the world and how they compare to other leaders. And I have one thin chapter on his retirement ceremony where I summarize kind of his contributions. It's about the journey, not the destination.
0: Okay. So you're on this quest to find out what made this man the man that he was. What I want to know is <laughs> what made you decide that you were going to leave your job <laughs> and go on a quest across country, um, out of the country to Europe to do this? I mean, you know, most people are like, OK, <laughs> if I'm going to do this kind of work, I'll either find someone's going <laughs> to pay for this. <laughs> Or I'm rich enough so that I can do this. So how did you do this?
1: So i I know, and I've I've always wanted to write a book. And as soon as I read, it picked up Robert Caro's The Power Broker. Mm -hmm. That did it for me. But I needed to find the right person. And General Shally was it for me. Because Shally's strength was that he was incredible at working with diverse groups of people on very thorny issues and creating constructive consensus. I've had bosses who were dictators. <laughs> I've also had bosses who are good at working with people, but usually the outcome of that is not the best possible outcome. And so, I, I it was for me it was just a puzzle like how do you become somebody who can work with other people, but then be extremely successful at it. So there was that dimension, and I tend to do things 100% <laughs> or not at all, and it was pretty easy to. Put all my stuff in storage, and then i didn't have to worry about it and I house sat, I uh, couch surfed I lived out of my car for some periods of time and if you keep expenses low and I had uh, did part- time working as, as an editor um, and I said to myself i'm not going to dip into my savings, mm-hmm. so I was able to earn enough that when you 're not paying rent and not paying utilities and you're careful how you eat uh, <laughs> and <laughs> you do some editing on the side, you can make it last for quite some time and uh, I got very lucky because I went on a date with a woman, and she knew I was writing a book but didn't know who it was. And when I said the name Shali Kashvili, she knew who he was, so I knew we were destined to be together. <laughs> and she was so taken by the story, she told me to quit my job and that she was going to help me finish it. And, right. um, so, yeah, I've had support for the second half, and I'm very, very appreciative and very fortunate, and I'm the luckiest guy on earth. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and as a non-military man... How did you deal with the military aspects of his life?
1: My very first interviews were with Mrs. Shally and and General Shally, and especially Mrs. Shally would just go over every period of their life and throw all these acronyms and things at me, and I I ended up buying a a recorder as a pen where I'm taking notes and it times into the, the audio recording. And I met so many wonderful people who were just so patient with me and just spent hours. This is how the military works he was so well liked and appreciated and respected. I had zero trouble getting people to talk to me, including, I mean, President Clinton and Madeleine Albright and Colin Powell and Bill Perry, all these busy people, and it's because the family asked him to. Mm -hmm. Uh, And President Clinton? And President uh, Clinton.
0: Sat down for an interview with you?
1: Oh yeah, I went up to his uh, office at the Clinton Foundation Uh in Harlem, Harlem. and it was the biggest office I've ever been in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, and, and one more great story is um, when I went to see Madeleine Albright. This is why it's a great American story. General Shally came as a, you know, as, as a teenage boy. His family came on the SS America. It's this huge ocean liner painted red, white, and blue. He leaves in November, so he has his first Thanksgiving meal on board, right? He lands in New York City, and then after that goes to Peoria, Illinois, the heartland of America. So in the course of my research, I found out that Madeleine Albright took the exact same ship, I think it was four years earlier, with her family. And before I went to interview her, I pulled together a kind of draft chapter that was set with General Shalley as a boy on the SS America, and I sent that to her. They were the best of friends, uh, had a special relationship, and she was just so proud to know that she and General Chalet had taken the same ship to the United States. So I think that's one of the high points for me for writing this book. Like I never thought I would tell Madeline Albright something she didn't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good. As empathetic as um, Chalet was, he was also a very private person, and he didn't talk a lot about his background.
1: General Shally did not speak about personal matters. He was very tight-lipped. In fact, I really only found one personal thing that he wrote, and that was after his stroke. And uh, he wrote uh, an essay was part of the, the healing therapy uh, about my thoughts about my stroke. And at the end of that, he signs off with this phrase, further respondent saith not, <laughs> which is this arcane legalese, which means I'm not saying anything more than this. <laughs> He did, he did not talk about personal things mm. um, at all. That was the toughest challenge for this book, really, because until his high school girlfriend reached out to me, I, I had already done a lot of research, I was already in D.C., finished. I had finished my first big cross-country tour, and I had glimpses of who I thought he was, but I, I really wasn't sure. And... When she came, she was vivacious. She wanted to be a writer. She was an artist. She was a painter. Uh, and she was expressive and had a great memory and loved him. And she was just honest about who he was and who she was. She doesn't paint herself as, <laughs> in, in positive terms either. So I, I really I, I felt her credible. And so then I realized that, well, if I'm not going to be able to provide a lot of quotes about him saying who he was, I'm going to show who he was through other people. And I really like this kind of storytelling where you're just putting things out there and people start making connections on their own. And that, that was really cool.
0: Good. Any recommendations for other biographers uh, who have you know, gotten through the research phase and now are trying to figure out how to take all this information hmm. and pull it together into some kind of cohesive whole?
1: A partial answer is this. When General Shali passed away, I had gotten access to his father's memoirs, which tell a lot about their their experience during World War II, and I just found his mom fascinating. Everything she did in Warsaw and Pappenheim to keep the family together, and I just I was sitting down writing it, just because it was so fascinating to me. I I didn't think it was going to be in the book at that time because I, I you know I was still fumbling, and so the lesson that I I would say, if something grabs you, then it's probably going to grab other people. If it fires you up. Hopefully it'll also fire up the reader.
0: That was author Andrew Marble talking about his biography, Boy on the Bridge, the story of John Shalikashvili's American Success, published by the University Press of Kentucky in 2019. This interview was recorded in October 2019 in Washington, D.C. You can read more about bio on our website, biographersinternational.org. I'm bio member Sonia Williams in Washington, D.C. Enzo De Palmer created our theme music. And until next time, thanks for listening, and have a great day.